It's Tuesday, January 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro, JP Bennett, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Gentlemen, happy Tuesday. Thanks Indeed. for having me. Yeah, great to have you guys. Uh, not a great start to 2016 for the market, but how's your 2016 going so far, Taylor? The first four days have been wonderful. Yeah, JP? Yeah. It's too early to call it. <laughs> too early to call it. <laughs> Way to hedge your bets right out of the gate, JP. Uh, plenty to talk about today, uh, but the first thing I want to touch on is a story that's close to my heart. I'm a big video game nerd, uh, and Activision Blizzard, one of the biggest video game studios in the world, uh, it's the maker of Call of Duty and Destiny, uh, they just bought esports broadcaster Major League Gaming for $46 million. Uh, and first of all, for the folks out there who maybe aren't gamers, uh, esports is a booming industry. Where people watch other people play video games via their smartphones, computers, even on live TV. That may sound a little ridiculous to some out there, but it is a. a, a <laughs> Taylor is raising his hand, but it is, like I said, it's a booming industry. The biggest deal in this industry was back in August 2014 when Amazon bought Twitch for nearly a billion dollars. Uh, so this Activision deal, JP, is a little bit smaller. It's not even $50 million. So what's Activision's angle here? Why are they investing in MLG? Well, from what I've read, it sounds like they kind of see the future for video games and broadcasting, and they they basically said they want to make a ESPN-like entity for you know video games because we're still kind of in the early innings of broadcasting. But if you kind of think about this deal, it's really interesting because to me, it's if you think about ESPN, this is almost like the NFL or the NBA buying ESPN, right? Mm. Because Activision Blizzard, they make games that MLG broadcasts. So it's a very interesting dynamic. Well, is that a little bit of a, a conflict of interest there? Um, it could be. So, like Counter Strike uh, Go is made by Valve, right? So that's a competitive game. It's got a really big scene and it's broadcast. You know, they said. To start, we have no intentions of kind of trying to shift focus to our games, mm -hmm. but you got to think that's kind of in the cards for the end game, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And as you said, uh, the, the global esports um, audience is growing uh, mm -hmm. stronger by the year. I think last year it was at something like 134 million people. Uh, Twitch itself, uh, Twitch alone, has 55 million users on their site. Do you see uh, Activision bringing MLG up to that level? Because it, it's not there just now. Twitch is still the biggest esports mm -hmm. platform out there. And with the backing of Amazon, I have to presume it's only going to get bigger. Uh, does Activision ever compete with a Twitch and an Amazon? Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see where they go with this, because the the behemoth is League of Legends, right? And League of Legends is primarily broadcast on Twitch. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the gold standard right now. What were the numbers they had around, what was it, uh, 36 million viewers for their finals? And that was even though the broadcast times for the US and for like Korea were it's really big. Was it's a really awkward time. It was like super late at night there. It was like 8 a.m. in the morning here. <laughs> at, you know, me and my friends had to wake up, just basically roll out of bed and turn it on. So that definitely kind of dampened the viewer count. Mm -hmm. So that's the gold standard, and I think Twitch has got a really good position as far as being the go-to source for that game because that game does lend itself very well to kind of competitive, the competitive scene and broadcasting. So. I'm not convinced that this is going to kind of all of a sudden, they're going to throw a bunch of money at it, and next thing we know, we have another Twitch. Mm -hmm. um, 
it'll be really interesting to see where they take this, though. And let's talk about League of Legends and how popular that's been for a second. Uh, as you said, 36 million people tuned in to the League of Legends Championship last year. For comparison's sake, 112 million people watched the Super Bowl last year, Taylor. I presume, were you one of these Super Bowl watchers? I did watch the Super Bowl, Did yes. you watch the League of Legends Championship? I did not. Why not? I, I, well, so for myself, I, I understand playing video games. The only time I've ever watched other people vi- play video games is when I was waiting my turn mm-hmm. to get the controller. Yep. But that being said, I do understand that this is a growing industry. There's entire theaters and, and uh, coliseums dedicated to it. And in Asia, I believe that there might be here in the U.S. as well. If not, I have suggested that theater operators should dedicate one or two screens to this every what? now and then because of declining movie goership, mm-hmm. if that's how you would say that. Viewership. <laughs> Viewer goership. Sure. Well, well, you can view it at your house, but you're not going to the theater. Um <laughs> So I think that that could be a savior for some theaters here in bigger markets. Um, and you look at the NFL; parents are keeping their kids out of football with all the rage and concussion uh, and concussions taking place. The new movie with Will Smith bringing that even more to light. So you could see maybe us losing out on some of the sports that we have become such great fans of and hmm. needing to turn to something else. Right. And gaming, esports, it's no it's, one's getting hurt. That, I was gonna say it's everything well, that, that there you are, don't have. There are some actually that <laughs> we're having it's issues with carpal and tunnel. Stuff like that. Yeah, oh, if you're playing video games for like twelve hours a day. Fair enough. <laughs> what a tough life. But yeah, so esports, it's it's a young, global, digital, yep. it's diverse. Uh, it's everything that you know normal sports, maybe like the NFL, maybe once was, mm-hmm. but it's probably moving away from that. So I guess the final question for this segment then, and I'll ask it to you both, Taylor, I'll start with you. Does esports ever outpace, in terms of viewership, the NFL, let's say, which is the most popular sport in America right now? I could absolutely U.S. viewership or global viewership because what? global I could absolutely see that happening. The NFL is trying its darndest to grow internationally, and it's just not happening. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I could see global viewership far outpacing the biggest sport in the United States. Maybe not with global soccer, hmm. but perhaps uh, U.S. based sports. JP, uh, that's a really tough one. I Here's would a have question to. For you. Did you, you watch the League of Legends championship? Did yeah. you watch the Super Bowl? Yeah. Okay. I was hoping there was maybe a little bit of an offset <laughs> well, there. Yeah, because I'm kind of. You guys hit on a great point. Is we're now getting to the part where the kids growing up are kind of. Video games were a huge part of their lives, and mm. so now it's kind of the transition is is natural, right? So as more and more people, you know, grow up in a video game environment, mm-hmm. this becomes more second nature to them. I grew up where for me it was traditional sports. All year round, you know, I grew up on the NFL, college football, soccer, stuff like that. But I kind of started playing video games just young enough. I was kind of at the mm-hmm. the early point where it was becoming, I don't want to say socially acceptable, but it was just a lot more common to play video games. So I kind of straddle the lines. But I mean, if you inca- if you include global viewership, yes, um, U.S. You know. Riots, League of Legends, World Championship versus the NFL, uh, Super Bowl. It's going to take a really long time. Fair I enough. Think. All right, uh, let's move on along to our next story. Uh, First Solar is about to hit a 52-week high, uh, even as oil continues to head lower. First and foremost, let's talk f- uh, First Solar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor shares of First Solar are up 50% in the last 12 months, and they're <laughs> they're flying high. And despite that, uh, Goldman Sachs actually announced earlier that it's upgrading uh, First Solar, moving its rating from neutral to a buy. So despite the high price tag mm-hmm. that comes with First Solar, Goldman Sachs still sees a lot of potential. 
potential for the company. Uh, what's your take on First Solar? What are they doing right, and what is Goldman Sachs so bullish about? Uh, well, so first of all, solar has definitely been on a nice run over the last year or so, especially recently with the extension of the ITC uh, tax credit mm-hmm. that the government kind of tossed in uh, to appease Democrats uh, to get some Republican, you know, the bantering back and forth uh, in the over one trillion dollar debt saving bill uh, that they passed in November, basically extending the credit three years tapering it off from 30% for people purchasing solar uh, panels down to 10% in 2021, and then leaving that permanently at a 10% tax credit um, beyond 2021. So, um, solar solar stocks across the board were up significantly um, that week. But First Solar in particular, strong balance sheet, very flexible uh, in terms of its financial standing, comparatively speaking to other solar companies. Uh, And they, they have utility size scale. You compare them to Solar City, which is maybe one of the bigger names people might recognize right off the bat. Um, they're installing panels on businesses, on residential rooftops. Um, they, they also manuf- are going to start manufacturing their own panels. But First Solar, totally vertically integrated. They can work with cities, they can work with states, they can work with countries. So they have a much broader scale and they're global. They're a global company. They've worked with companies or countries in the Middle East, US, South America, Europe. So uh, I think that you're seeing them become more efficient. They're growing their production, and solar in general is just catching on a lot more than than we have seen it. Sure, solar's on a run, but oil is so cheap, Taylor. Thirty six fifty for a barrel of oil. I could um, buy a barrel of oil <laughs> much cheaper than I could buy a solar panel. Exactly, what a bargain! <laughs> uh, but more importantly, a lot of solid companies in the oil industry are looking pretty cheap these days mm. as a result of oil's plummet. Is now the time to be investing in these oil companies, or are we just going to see more of the same in 2016? Personally, I think that definitely, if you have a three to five year time horizon, this could be, I mean, a great entry point if mm. you've never invested in, in oil. Um, on the on the other side of that, though, the prices look cheap comparatively, if but maybe not the the multiples because mm. financials have suffered right along with the stock prices. So you kind of want to take it take the the overall price drop. And maybe with a grain of salt, um, but there are great companies out there that I think once oil does flip the switch, which I do believe this year or next year is going to happen, if you can stomach maybe another fifteen to twenty percent drop, <laughs> hoping for that hundred percent, two hundred percent, if oil does creep back up to sixty or seventy dollars a barrel in the next year or two, there are some companies out there that I think you know you could certainly sit on as long as you don't need that money right away. All right, hey JP, you've been yep. a little quiet about to talk about <laughs> oil. Why is that? What's your take on the oil industry? Well, personally speaking, um, and I wish I could remember who I originally heard this quote from, but I think it's a great quote, and it's basically that you know commodities are where generalists go to die. So <laughs> basically, a generalist is someone who kind of studies companies in all different industries, hmm. and because commodities are, are cyclical and there are so many mm-hmm. different dynamics that are in play here, you know. You can be really wrong, and so personally, I tend to kind of shy away from really heavily exposed uh, companies that are very heavily exposed to commodities. So I don't have too much to say. I mean, we obviously pay close attention to it for the services that I work on, but you know, we're definitely not backing up the truck right here. And it'll be really interesting to see going forward, kind of how the the supply demand kind of. That relationship kind of plays out for the next couple of years. I know Wood McKenzie, uh, an analytics firm, is basically saying it's going to take at least until the end of 2016 for that to kind of come back into balance. Right. And if that 
doesn't come into balance there what's the catalyst to drive oil higher again right yeah so so right now talking about that is like we're we've we're at a all-time high 96 million barrels a day in demand which is continuing to grow maybe not as quickly as it has in the past but it's still growing and with oil at 30 to 40 dollars a barrel production certainly isn't going to continue to grow and the US has been adding million or so barrels a day for the last 5 years but oil was 80 90 over 100 dollars a barrel at that time so we're actually expecting to see us pull back on production this year or next year and we've been the swing producer so mm-hmm. um, if we if we give up that extra million dollar million barrels a day that we've been producing um, you could see that crunch, and now you've got two, if not the two biggest names in OPEC, that going head to head with right. Iran and Saudi Arabia right now. Um, and I would venture a guess that if that had happened five years ago, prices would have gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. But it's been pretty muted. Prices have have been affected, but not nearly to the degree that I would have expected um, just a couple of years ago. So that that again shows you that people really aren't ready to jump into the oil stocks just yet. Hmm, Not just yet, but maybe in the future. Speaking of the future, let's turn our gaze towards the rest of 2016. JP, maybe you're not so interested in commodities, but uh, in 2016, what are you keeping your eye on? What's either an industry or a company that you are watching? Well, one industry that's really piqued my interest as of late is just retailing, right? So, if you look at, you know, a lot of the retailers like the Urban Outfitters, like the Nordstrom's, like the Buckle, which uh, was a recommendation in a couple of services. I know the service I work for in Pro, we actually sold it. Um, these stocks have just gotten clocked, right? Mm. Um, the S&P finished around flat for the year. These stocks are down 35, 40 plus percent um, over the past year. And it's a really interesting dynamic. We all know that right, e-commerce is, is growing, but it's still you know sub seven percent or so of kind of total retailing in general. Mm. But if you look at you know clothes and things like that, it's already 17, 18 percent. Um, and so that kind of conversion is taking place at a, a much quicker quicker clip. And so what you see is you know everyone's stressing we need to be omnichannel. We need to be able to sell online. We need to have brick and mortar stores. You know trying to do this and that. And I'm really interested interested to see kind of who the winner going to be in kind of this battle as everyone kind of, you know, this industry is really seeing a big shakeup that it hasn't seen for 20, 30 years. And so, you know, it'll be really interesting to see who kind of wins this battle. Any any takers? Any uh, any you know favorites or dark horses? Maybe. Um, we don't have any horses in the race right now. <laughs> all right, all right. I understand. <laughs> Hedging his bets out of yep. the gate and at the end of the show. Uh, Taylor, I'm consistent. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, Taylor. Uh, what are you looking at in 2016? Either again an industry or a company or two uh, that's caught your eye. Yep. Um, I'll stick with retail and sales in general with Salesforce, customer relationship uh, software as a service company. Um, this is a company that hasn't necessarily pulled back. And I don't think that it necessarily will, unless there's a broad market sell-off. So this is a company I'm watching to maybe start adding a little bit to here and there. Uh, cash flow, cash flow generator, um, 33.5% cash flow from operations growth last year, uh, 31% five-year compound annual growth rate. So it's consistent. It's growing. Um, looking for $10 billion in revenue over the next couple of years. And they're right now they're at 6.7 over the last 12 months, so that's almost a 60% jump. Hmm. And profits have been growing faster than revenues lately, so hopefully that can continue to happen. And maybe you'll see revenues double if that's the case, or profits double if that's the case. Um, I think they've got some great leadership, uh, not just at this at the CEO level, but uh, they brought in Adam Bosworth a few years ago. 
He's heading up their new Internet of Things division. He's been with Microsoft. He's been with Google, working very closely with uh, Gates and Larry Page. Um, I think that that could be a big growth driver for this company because uh, it's just it's going to link its customers to different data points and, and offer a different suite of product lineups that I think um, this company's already had such great success with what they've got. But if this can really take off middle of this year, end of 2016, I think that they could uh, e- drive even greater market share than where they're at right now. All right. J.P. Bennett, Taylor Munkerman, guys, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.